Hello, this is Audio Art Hill 22. Two Swans 22. I think that's the bingo call. I used to enjoy calling bingo and making up the uh, tags to numbers and indeed making up particular bingo games. I remember psychic bingo, as I called it, which I inflicted on an audience in the V&A, telling them they had to know the number I was thinking of. And it was surprising how many did get the number I was thinking of. They had blank bingo sheets, which they filled in via telepathy. Well, there's telepathy for you. Whatever. It's been um, an extraordinary week of uh, experiences, and I have to say that... The great show in St. Leonard's, Edith, which was a show of music, dance, song and spoken word accompanying the rushes of Andrew Cotting's filmed pilgrimage from Waltham Abbey to St. Leonard's was a real treat, a blast. I think something about all the different pilgrims or travellers and they're very different sensibilities all coming together combined in a great act of marvellous joy and generosity but deep thought too no sin of shallowness but all the virtues of delight and, and fun were there and uh, I'm not doing it justice. It's a great, it's a great work, and actually, you know, brings mythology into the present day with great resonance. I loved listening to the voice, sonorous voice of Ian Sinclair. Very serious, very, very wonderful, and somehow reminded me of. Uh, voice, just able to communicate erudition, but the excellence of egalitarian communication and the great bear, Andrew Cotting, sort of presiding over this event with the beautiful Claudia Barton singing and enacting Edith Swanneck, Swanneck, the love of Harold, the last Briton who lost his eye and his life in 1066. Of course, the other travellers were amazing too, the drumming of David Alwood. I hope that's pronounced right. I know him as Deptford Dave, and I can see his name written down, A-Y-L-W-A-R-D. Jem Finer with his extraordinary musical machine on wheels dragged along in the procession and anonymous Bosch recording it the great pinhole cameraman just such a great event with the artists embracing everybody not any sense of hierarchy as a sort of phony equivalent to old societal snubberies 
I'm not putting it very well, but cooking the dinners, the the events around the art being as generous as the artwork. Really helpful keeping going. Anyway, that's a lot about that. It was really nice also to be in a a community, in an audience that was full and full on, really appreciating the stuff. Recently I went to Kettering and the invited audience didn't turn up for whatever reason, despite the um, great efforts on part of on the part of the curator. But a wonderful assembled group of people from the organisation were there, and a, a very curiously relevant and real conversation ensued. I was invited to talk with Sally Cook, who is a scholar and practitioner. And she thought we were going to talk about personas, and I thought we were going to talk about props. In fact, we'd been given, both been given a P word, those P words. And of course, the overlaps were interesting. And I thought about starting on difference, not that props and personas are that different, but how, you know, these days people meet online and give statements which start them off on the same page, and they're matched, and they meet with a degree of match, matching purpose. And I thought of all the great loves and friendships and people of my life and how so often, you know, the first encounters were full of mismatching and doubt and difference and antipathies even. And how, you know, we came to something more to do with understanding. I don't know. I just think sometimes it's okay to start with difference, but not with indifference. Anyway, I had something to say about props and bringing my gold tooth to Kettering, because I thought we were talking about props. I thought I'd bring this gold tooth that I had once placed in Newstead Abbey in a vitrine alongside the souvenirs of Lord Byron because I'd been asked to give a, a tour of Newstead Abbey to lead or mislead people around the great rooms of Byron's estate and um, I offered a bit more of a lasting work. I said I'd, I'd like to record the voices of what I call Byronic men and install and the women who loved them in the I'd like to install them in the haunted dressing room and put associated objects in the vitrines and one of the Byronic men was Shane McGowan who I asked about animals that was really to you know connect the Byronic in terms of something other than sex and drugs which is a bit corny I think to ask somebody such as Shane about, and he was uh, wonderful, in fact, it's an aside, but talked about, you know, a much-loved dog, in this case a sheep dog. If you, loved, if you love your animal, you don't want some farmer to kill it, you know, if it goes wild, starts attacking sheep, or to give it, you know, for the vet to give it some nasty injection, but you want to be able to, you know, do it yourself, you know. And I... I was very touched by things he was saying about animals, like about 
and they want him to ride a horse without a saddle. And uh, that aside, that was really perfect. But in the vitrine, I, I put my own gold tooth on a little plinth with the signage, you know, exactly the signage that goes with all the objects to do with Byron, to suggest that this was Shane McGowan's gold tooth, which filled the first gap in his now famously missing teeth. But actually the story is more curious. I, I had a uh, have a gap in my mouth, which um, I could call a gap in my privilege, because in my early teens I had an abscess which caused the um, removal of the tooth, because to build it up and put a crown on it would have cost money. It was beyond the National Health Service Services. So my mother went, ah, oh, well, let it go. And I went, ah, oh, well, let it go. And so whenever I was accused of great privilege by my husband, I would point to this gap and say, well, if I'd been that privileged, I'd have a crown tooth in there. He said if ever he made money, I'd pay for me to have something drilled into the hole. But when he came to it, he made a bit of money and said, I, I said, I think I might have said, what about my my crowned tooth? He said, okay, go for it. Dentist said, that'd be brutal. So I designed a, a clip-on gold tooth, which is quite pretty, like an Art Nouveau scarab or some such. Anyway, when I went to Kettering to talk about props or so, I thought I took the tooth but uh, eating my supper in the high street of Kettering, opposite Marks and Spencer's where I'd bought the food, I realised at the end I hadn't got the tooth in my mouth, so it must have gone into the food and therefore be in the bin. So I was, you know, left with only one thing to do, which was empty the big, you know, municipal bin, which I did. And I was caught in the act by the collector. And uh, he asked me, you know, what I was looking for. And because I noticed he had a missing tooth at the front, I didn't want to say I'm looking for a tooth. So I said a piece of gold jewellery. Anyway, he was very patient and really lovely. And, yeah, well, I looked through it all. It wasn't there. But he gave me antiseptic, not antiseptic, antibacterial wipes. And it was really lovely. It reminded me of how as many people have done in recent times, how great people are. God. Anyway, yeah, I found the tooth later in some other bag and um, put, put it in my mouth. I don't know where it is now, but that that was a story of, uh, of no real um, meaning. But uh, I suppose, yes, it's filled a gap and it's kept me off... Um, more maudlin meanderings and I can say now goodbye and I've uh, really overdone it again 11.27 bye